Well, thank you, Brother Chris. Look forward to being here. We had thought we'd come and hear you preach. <laughs> We've done that a number of times. We get hungry for really good exposition, and this is a good place to come for that, but uh, happy always to speak a good word. This is like coming home for us. Caroline and I have been married 61 years. That's a long time, right? Yet it, yet it seems just like yesterday, so you youngsters, watch out. You're going to get older fast, so uh, we, we made it. But our first church, two weeks after we were married, was Steve Hollow, just about three miles as a crow flies over here. That's where we uh, began our pastoral ministry, and uh, we have some sweet friends from uh, Steve Hollow here today, and it's always good to, to see them. But, uh, so we cherish this. I mean, A&M was an experience. I was a senior at Baylor. <laughs> my first game to attend was the Baylor A&M game in my freshman year. I wore white coveralls with Baylor Bear sign on it and sat in the middle of the student section. And uh, unfortunately, John David Crow and Charlie Kruger and uh, that whole bunch uh, were, were there, and we didn't do very well that day. But uh, we, uh, when we came to Steve Hollow, we, we found out why people uh, love A&M and how A&M people love the Lord. Only problem I had was the kids thought that when you prayed, you said A&M after your prayers. <coughs> so we had to get that little theology straightened out. But uh, anyway, nevertheless, we're glad to be back. Thank you, Brother Chris, for the opportunity to be here. Now, I want you to take your Bibles with me and uh, turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Now, I know you know this, but whenever you read Scripture, context is everything. I know Dr. Uh, soon-to-be Dr. Uh, Osborne preaches that to you. And uh, uh, so it, the context is significant. And there are two things about the context that you need to know. Number one is, it's a period of time, as you read the seventh chapter, everybody's wondering who Jesus is. Is he the Messiah? How can he do these wonders? Early in the chapter, it even says his brothers didn't believe in him. Same so in his family didn't believe in him. The crowd was divided over him. Some said he's the Messiah. Some said he's no, he's of Satan. They were debating the Pharisees. His enemies were, were debating who he was, and they weren't willing to receive him as a messenger from God. So it's the context of wondering who Jesus is. Now, the second thing is that it, according to verse 2, in this uh, chapter, the Feast of Tabernacles is at hand. Now, you will not understand the text. We're going to read beginning in verse 37 here in a moment. You will not understand it if you don't understand the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, I don't know how to describe it to you. Uh, it's kind of like a Christian Mardi Gras. They give you some kind of I mean, unbelievable. Uh, Leviticus 23 gives the instructions on how you to do this, but the people were, were told that they were going to move out of their homes and build booths. Sometimes this is called the Feast of Booths. Uh, we're in East Texas, so it's the Feast of Lean-Tos. Yeah, you know what that is. So anyway, uh, they, they were told to move out of their homes. That was a reminder there was a time when they did not have permanent homes. They did not have a place to live, and, and they were instructed how, to, how, how they were to build those, uh, those uh, little tabernacles. 
uh, those lean-tos. They were to use branches of trees. It even describes the, the branches of palm trees and of thick trees. It tells them what to do. And uh, they were to build them so that you could see through the slots in the side and the top so the wind could blow and the sun and moon could be seen. And, and it was a time for them to, for seven days, they lived in booths in the city of Jerusalem. Now in the Old Testament, when it started, it was a seven-day feast, and the eighth day was a solemn assembly, a day of solemn assembly, a time of prayer and repentance. Uh, by the time of, of the New Testament, that eighth day had been kind of caught up in the uh, Feast of Tabernacles itself, and uh, so it was, a, it, it was part of the feast. Now, I, I, I wish I had time, and I won't take it, but it, it's unbelievable what they did. The Feast of Tabernacles, Josephus, the Jewish historian, said was the highest and happiest Feast of the Jews. I mean, it was like Easter and uh, Christmas and Fourth of July and New Year's, Thanksgiving, all rolled up into one. It was a time of thanksgiving for the, for the water and the rains that had come to give the early harvest. And it was an acted out prayer for more rain, for there was still harvest to come. It was a reminder of their time in the wilderness when God gave them water and food in the wilderness. So it was a time of remembering, a time of celebrating what God had done. And it was a festival. It had games for the kids. Special building projects went on. The women and the men were separated. And so for the Feast of Tabernacles, they built a grandstand overlooking the area where the men would usually be. And the women were in the grandstand. So they had that grandstand. They put about 50-foot poles all around the temple area. And on top of them, they had, had uh, a little uh, oil uh, cups and and. and baskets and they would keep it uh, full of oil so that the lights burned continually for eight days. It was an incredible time of celebration and I, I could go on and on but you're not interested and I don't have time so that's okay we'll just stop there okay. But there was a ceremony that took place every day and uh, a white robe priest would carry a golden pitcher down out of the temple area through the water gate down to the pool of Siloam. He would lead a procession of priests, each holding a, a, a pitcher, and they would fill the water in the, from the pool of Siloam, and they would come back up. Now, the people were told to bring their branches, and they would line the way, all the way from the temple down to the water gate, and, uh, and the people were there with their branches. And, and when, they, when the procession came back up from the pool of Siloam, they, uh, they sang the Hallel, Every time it came to, he is good, God is good, and his, his uh, love endures forever, the people would shake those uh, uh, branches and roar. It was time of great celebration. It came through the gate and back into the temple area. They marched around the, the big altar one time. Then the priest, one at a time, would pour the water into the funnel over the great rock of the altar, and the water would splash all across the altar. And when it did, the people would erupt in a cheer. Kind of like when the Aggie scored touchdown. I mean, to say, I mean, I'm talking, it was a raucous, loud celebration, a roar of approval. And that went on for seven days. On the eighth, well, let's, let me just look here on, and, uh, and, and pick up at verse 37. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Holy Spirit, 
uh, those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So it's the last day, the last day when Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was basically a feast about water. It, it was a celebration of God's provision through water, historically in the wilderness and season by season, the water that brought in the crops. So it's basically about water. Now, on the eighth day, they repeated that ceremony with two changes. First one was, well, they did everything the same down to the Pool of Siloam, came back in through the water gate. Oh, by the way, they had trumpeters stationed around the perimeter, and they would trumpet uh, triumphantly as it came back into the area where the altar was in the temple. And, and they did the same thing on the eighth day, two exceptions. They walked seven times around the altar. I'm assuming that that was the reminder of the seven trips around Jericho before the walls came tumbling down. And then, when the priest came to the funnel to pour the water to splash over the altar, on the eighth day, there was no water in the pitcher. It was dry. It was a reminder that their, their, their ancestors, their forefathers, had uh, drunk water in the wilderness, but they died. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a reminder to them that the promised Messiah had not yet come. The Christ that had been promised through Old Testament prophecies had not arrived, had not come. And so the water was there. And instead of a roar, there was stony silence. It was at that moment Jesus stood up. And in the stony silence, he cried out, Anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He's announcing himself to the people. They've been questioning. They've been wondering, who is this? Who, uh, who gives him power to do these things? Is he from God? Is he from Satan? Even his brothers didn't believe in him. They've been debating all of this. He stands to announce that the Messiah has come. He seek, seeks to turn the people from the ceremony to the substance, from the shadow to the fulfillment, from the uh, prophecy uh, to the person. He's trying to say, here I am. Here I am. Now, the clue that makes this stand out is, uh, in two words in this text, and it's good to study the words because every once in a while they just jump out at you. The word stood up. Jewish rabbis never stood up when they taught. Now, don't you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Verse 1, Matthew 6. What does it say? And when he had sat down. Then he delivered it. Jewish rabbis never stood when they were teaching or preaching as we'd call it. Never did that. But Jesus stood up. That's very unusual. In that culture, the only ones who stood up to speak to a crowd were those who represented Caesar or the governor. It was, uh, had a political announcement or a national uh, announcement to be made. Jewish rabbis never stood up. And then the word cried out it's not the normal word. It only appears in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, where John the Baptist is said to be crying out in the wilderness. It appears in chapter 11 twice, uh, chapter 7 twice, 
that he cried out. And then at the grave of Lazarus, John chapter 11, uh, he cried out, Lazarus come forth. So it's an unusual word. It's an emotional word. It is a word packed with, with energy and excitement. It is a word that makes you stop and, 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 and consider what is happening. It is a dramatic word with great meaning. That's the word he used. And so as I studied this passage, those two words helped me understand that this is more than just a simple statement. Well, he'd made it before. In John chapter 4, you remember the woman at the well? Uh, he, he asked her for some water and... And she replied, and he said, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask him for a drink. And he'd give you water that you never thirst again. Oh, so he'd made that statement before. But, but this dramatic moment, the Feast of Tabernacles, with circulating rumors about who he was and questions everywhere, Jesus stood up, cried out, anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, if this was a homiletics class, I wouldn't get a good grade on this sermon because I only have two points, and I don't have a poem. So, I mean, it, it just, it would just take two. Okay, we're going to take two points. First of all, there is a provision that is offered. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, it's interesting that he used the word thirst because thirst is the most... <clears throat> craving desire of the human body you got to have water two-thirds at least of your body is water doctors will tell you that everything good that happens in your body happens in water you can't live long without water I once had a staff member that went 43 days without eating but he couldn't go 43 days without water water is essential there's nothing the human body craves more than water so this provision Jesus is saying, what he doesn't specify, it, it, is a, it, it is wide open. He says, if anyone's thirsty, if you have any thirst, what is the need of your life? What is the concern of your heart? If there's anything in your life that you're seeking for, uh, that Jesus said, I can satisfy that. It is a provision that is offered to everyone. And, and everything we could possibly need, Jesus offers to us. Do, do you desire recognition? Sure you do. All of it. None of us wants to feel like we live for nothing. We just were numbering the seven plus billion people in the earth, and it doesn't matter whether we're here or not. We want to feel like we made some difference somewhere. Could Jesus provide for that? Absolutely. Both Peter and John in Revelation says we're a royal priesthood. We are, we are kings and princes. I mean, we're somebody. Do you realize the, the unique thing about Christian faith is that everybody is somebody. There's nobody that's nobody. Everybody is significant. So you desire significance to be recognized. That's what he offers. He offers to receive you, and you are valuable because he died for you. What about wisdom? Surely we need wisdom. What crazy times we're living in. How are we going to make decisions to navigate the troubled waters of our culture and of our world? Need wisdom? James 1.5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives freely. He doesn't grab it back, take it away from you. He gives wisdom to us. He will give you wisdom. Uh, you need forgiveness? Everybody needs forgiveness. Possible he could give us forgiveness? If we confess our sins, John said, he's faithful just to forgive us, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Do we need salvation to be saved? 
gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. Whatever you need, whatever you want, whatever craving you have, it is a universal offer that he makes to you. It is a provision that he makes for you. Now, that comes with a cost. You said, I thought uh, salvation is free. It is. But here's the cost. Here's the demand. you got to come and drink it. You, you, you just got to do it. Nobody can do it for you. I usually, when I preach this sermon, have somebody pitch me some water because I get a little thirsty just preaching this. Uh, are you thirsty? If I had, a, I had a cup of water here, I, I could drink it. But, you know, if I drank the water, it wouldn't do you any good. It wouldn't quench your thirst. Why? Because nobody can drink water to sustain your life but you. Nobody. Uh, you're, not, you're not a Christian because you were raised in a Christian family. You're not a Christian because you live in, a, in a, a Christian atmosphere or community. You're not a Christian because your parents were good Christians. You're not a Christian because your siblings or your, your cousins or your friends were Christians. You're only a believer when you come to drink the water of life yourself. You have to do it. Now, here's the good news. You can do it. Nobody can keep you from it. Nobody can do it for you, but they can't keep you from doing it. And so here's, here's the question that we all have to ask ourselves. If I died today, would I go to heaven? Uh, that's a sobering question. Because, hey, listen, I have, I have a new stat for you. One out of one people die. <laughs> now, we're going to get older. Now, by the way, for us old folks, uh, the trick is we get older, but we can't get old. Don't get old. You get grumpy and grouchy and complaining when you get old. No, just get older. But hang on. Hang on to everything that's precious to you that you've lived. But don't, just don't get old and grumpy. Don't, don't do that. We're going to get old. Older. But uh, we need to understand that we have to do business with God ourselves. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can keep you from doing it. If you do not know for sure that if you died today, you go to heaven, make sure today, drink that water today. You say, how do you do that? Well, John makes it real simple in verse 37. He says, to those who believe. I love John. John is so simple. Do you want, do you want to drink the water of eternal life? Well, believe. It's by faith that you grab it. It's by faith you take it. By faith you receive him into your heart. You drink the water, and it's satisfied. Now, I have to move on because there's one other thing. There's a promise here. He says, to him who drinks, see what he says here, the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Now, he had, he had hinted at that in John 4 when he talked to the woman at the well. Because he told her, you, if you knew who I was, and you would ask me for water, and if you drunk, you'd never thirst again. And, and then he said, from within you, wells of living water would, free, would, would, uh, would rise up within you uh, to salvation. Uh, so it's not a new thing, but here's the, here's the thing he's trying to say. God didn't save you to take you to heaven. If he saves you to take you to heaven, when you got saved, you go to heaven. He left you here. Why? Because he says, when you drink the water, I want you to be a distributor of the water. I want you to share the water. The more you share, the more there is. 
The water is never diminished. It, it is never shut down. It's never, uh, it, it's never comes to an end. The more you give, the more you have. That's the testimony down through the centuries. So the promise is we receive Christ and we welcome him into our hearts. We become believers and then we become distributors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why God left us here. That's why the church is here. This church doesn't exist for your comfort. Doesn't exist for your pleasure. Doesn't exist for your preferences. It is here as an instrument of God, as a testimony to this community and to the world that there is a gospel of good news that people who are nobodies can become somebody through Jesus Christ. Everybody is significant and God forgives and eternal life is a free gift. That's why we're here. So we, we ought to plan everything we do around. How does it help us do that? How does it help us do that? Well, the... Uh, there are two bodies of water in, in what we call the Holy Land today. If you've ever been, there are beautiful bodies of water. There's the Sea of Galilee, and there's the Dead Sea. Now, the Sea of Galilee, the surface of it is below sea level, somewhere around 600 and some odd feet below sea level. It's only 147 feet deep, but it gives life to the whole area. Israel today is blooming like a garden from north to south because of water that is pumped out of the Sea of Galilee and it is distributed all over the land and things grow and flourish and fruit and flowers are everywhere because of water from the Sea of Galilee. It is a life-giving body of water. But out of the southeast end of the Sea of Galilee flows the Jordan River. Now, if, if you're in a canoe, it's about 200 miles down to the Dead Sea. If you're on a crow's back, it's about 75 miles. But it winds its way down and empties into the Dead Sea. It's a beautiful sea, crystal clear. It's incredible. Uh, but it's, it's dead. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. Oh, maybe some microscopic something or other. But nothing lives. It, the mineral content is so thick that you could, you could read the newspaper sitting up in water over your head and you wouldn't get the paper wet because you can't sink. I mean, it, it, it's, it's just dead. Now listen carefully. The same water is in both bodies of water. Same water. The water from the Sea of Galilee flows down into the Dead Sea. Now, why is the Sea of Galilee life-giving and the Dead Sea just dead? Here's the secret. Follow carefully. From the northwest, there are three mountains up there. And there are three rivers that flow out of those mountains. And they empty water into the Sea of Galilee. When the snow melts on the mountains... In the springtime, the water that from the melted snow flows into the Sea of Galilee. So it receives water. And then out of the southeast end, it gives water. It receives, and it gives. It receives, and it gives, and it lives. But in the Dead Sea, it receives, and receives, and receives, and never gives, and it dies. Now listen carefully to me. 
you are either going to be a Sea of Galilee or a Dead Sea in your life. You're either going to have a life that lives and sparkles and gives life. You've received God's Spirit. You've received God's blessings and you give it and you live. Or you're going to be the kind of person who receives and receives and receives and it's never enough and you never give and it dies. Now, now here's, here's the key. Listen carefully. You don't have a choice about whether or not you're going to have one of those bodies of water reflecting your life. You don't, it's going to happen. But you do have a choice about which one it's going to be. Will you be a Sea of Galilee or will you be a Dead Sea? It's your choice. You have to make that choice. You have to decide that you're going to be a person who gives. You're a person who's going to give encouragement and love and support. And you're going to help people and grieve with them and rejoice with them. You're going to be giving of yourself all the while you're receiving. And you'll be the kind of person that people are always glad to see and always hate to see you go. You can be that kind of person. You've got to learn how to receive, to give. Give of yourself. Uh, give of your talents. Give of your spirit. You'll be a Sea of Galilee if you do. But if you are one of those people who always is complaining about what you don't have, what you don't like, what you're unhappy with, you get grumpy and cantankerous, nothing pleases you and nothing's ever enough, you're going to be a dead sea. Now, very honestly, let me tell you, I am getting very old. There are not many of you here over 82. I was 82 last month. No, this is still October in it, this month. <laughs> okay, just a senior moment. <laughs> um, when we, when we get old, we, we can get so self-centered that we stop giving and think that, that, we, that we've got some entitlements. People ought to be giving to us. Now, now, you have to decide what kind of person you're going to be. A true believer is someone who has received the grace of God, the gift of God, the life that he offers to us, and you share that and you give that, and your spirit is one of encouragement and, and helping others realize their dreams. You bring the best out in people. They're always glad you're there. Or you're going to be the kind of person when they see you coming, they're going to say, oh, no. Here he comes again. Dead Sea. There's a provision you're thirsty come and drink there's a promise if you come and drink you believe from deep within you will flow rivers of living water well I need to tell you one more story so Steve just give me a couple of minutes uh, there's a lot of mystery about the rivers in the world. Let me, let me tell you about one of the great rivers of the world. High up in the Andes Mountains, way up above the freeze line where the snow never really melts and, and uh, it's always below freezing, but when the sun is just right and the wind's just right, on the, on the face of an ice-clad rock, you can see a little bubble, a little gurgle of water trace a hesitant course 
across the face of that rock. It comes down and drops down into a, a, a rock below and, 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 and you have little rivulets. Then you have little streams and little rivers and tributaries until 3,600 miles later, the Amazon River flows into the Atlantic Ocean at a rate of 188,000 cubic feet per second. It is so powerful that the Atlantic Ocean is fresh water for 60 miles. You may feel sometime that you're just one person. Who of us hadn't thought that? What can I do? You may see yourself as just one of those little gurgles of water trying to survive behind an ice-clad rock. But then you join other little gurgles of water, little rivulets and little streams until all together is what our churches are all about. It's not the only church in the world. It's a church working with many other churches. When you put us all together, God designed us to flow into a polluted culture and bring life everywhere we go. You see, you're not the church just when you're here on Sunday morning. You're the church when you go home. Imagine the impact of little gurgles of water who join together with such a powerful force that the entire culture is impacted. Just one person, many persons, many churches. God promises if we'll drink, receive the gift of eternal life, rivers of living water will flow from within us. We can do it. You'll either be a dead sea or a sea of Galilee. Which will it be? That's your choice. And by the way, you young people, you're going to live a lifetime. And you may get as old as some of us are, but you have to start now. If you're going to be a Sea of Galilee, you need to start now. Every one of us. We never get too old for it. But God help rivers of living water to flow from deep within those of us who believe. Now, we're going to have a time of invitation. Let me just be honest with you. Uh, we're not going to stay long in the invitation. And I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't leave. This is really the most important time of the service. You say, well, i got Sunday school. Hey, it'll be there when you get through. We're not going to be here that much longer. So I want to ask you to stay and pray. And ask yourself, what am I going to be? Sea of Galilee or Dead Sea? And my invitation to you is for you to say, by God's grace, I'm going to be a Sea of Galilee. I'm not going to be a Dead Sea. I'm going to let Christ live in me and live through me, and I'm going to be a life-giving Sea of Galilee in my life. Now, I don't know what that means. It might mean some of y'all join this church. You've been visiting a while. This is where God has led you. This would be a good day to join the church. Formally link your life with it. Now, you know why people don't want to join the church? They don't want any responsibility. They'd rather be a spectator. Listen, worship and service is not a spectator sport. It's something we all do. And just as we're born into a family, we, we're born again into a family. 
And the church is an expression of that family. They may, maybe that's what you ought to do. Unite with the church. Maybe God is, you're saying for the first time, I want to drink the water of life. My oldest son grew up, my youngest son who grew up in our home at age 22 came and said, Dad, I've always had questions and I'm tired of wondering. And he was saved when he was 22 years old. People said, did that embarrass you as a pastor, your son doing that? I said, absolutely not. I was thrilled because, see, nobody could drink the water for him. He couldn't rest on his family reputation or his family spirituality. He had to do it himself. My friend, you have to do it yourself. Maybe you've never done it yourself. Would you by faith say, I receive the gift of eternal life? Maybe it's just time of recommitment. Recommitment. You know, as we get older, it's kind of hard for us to admit we need anything. How long has it been since you walked down an aisle and committed your life to Christ? What a great, great way to start November, which is right around the corner. Having said, by God's grace, I'm going to use every day God gives to me to be a blessing to others as I share the water entrusted to me. So it may be to say I want to be a Sea of Galilee. It may be I want to receive Christ as my Savior, unite with the church. This is God's invitation to you. And we're not going to sing long. And I'm going to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment. God wants you to make a decision. There'll be... Uh, counselors, staff members here at the front. Steve's going to lead us uh, as, uh, as, as he takes care of the music. If he wants you to sing, he'll tell you. If he doesn't, that's all right. Just This is for us. This is for us to do business with God. And so I want to ask you, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand, and I want to ask you, God has spoken to your heart. I want to ask you to stand coming. Just when you stand, take that step. It's really, it's just one step. It's not really all the way in the back. No, no, it's just one step. When you take that one step, the Lord, it's like walking with angel wings, guiding you down. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do, would you?